It's great to be here with you on this uh, third Advent Sunday. And I had someone ask me this uh, past week, you know, uh, explain to me a little more about Advent and uh, what we're doing during the Advent season. And really the simple uh, explanation is we're remembering Remembering what Christ has done and the, and the true meaning of Christmas and anticipating uh, as we gather together for Christmas Eve, the celebration of Christ. And so the Sundays before, the four Sundays before Christmas Eve, what we do is we look at some of those gifts that we have because of Jesus. We've looked at hope, we, we've looked at love, and, and this morning we're going to be looking at joy. We're going to look at the joy that we can have in Christ. And I was thinking of this whole idea of mem- remembering this morning, I was on my way to this church service and... Uh, as I was driving in the morning, uh, the snow was coming down. It was beautiful as I was looking at it. And I was sort of in the zone, uh, thinking about the service, being able to be here with my church family. And all of a sudden, my truck swerved. And I, I thought I was going to go off the road for a minute uh, because of the snow. And, and I was able to get it in control and, and head on to, on here. Obviously, I'm here. Uh, but as, as we were doing that, I thought, you know, we remember in the midst of really life. And, and sometimes in life, we have swerves. And the story that we're going to be looking at, the account we're going to be looking at from Scripture this morning, is, is of an individual who I believe she was going about her life, and one day she got a swerve. Uh, she wasn't expecting it. Uh, and of course, you probably can already guess, we're, we're going to look at Mary. Uh, Mary's account a little bit, and, and we're going to learn about joy, especially joyful worship from her. Uh, what do we know about Mary? Uh, we know that she was young, probably a teenager, and we also can sort of figure out by what we're going to look at this morning, this, this song that she sang, uh, that, that really she knew the scriptures, which is interesting. It meant that she was raised in a home where synagogue was important, where the scriptures of God were important, because um, unlike today, uh, people back then weren't able to have the scriptures in their home. And so they had to remember it. They had to, to, to hear it enough to remember it and to really internalize it. And we find that Mary was a person who apparently had allowed the scripture of God to settle in her heart and in her life. Uh, what, when we look at Mary, when we look at her account in scripture, we realize that she's a wonderful example of humility and really obedience to the Lord in this, in this understanding of, of what it means to have joy in all circumstances. I, I don't know about you, it, it's hard to imagine uh, Mary's situation when all of a sudden the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to be the mother of the promised one, the one you guys have been waiting for. And you can't help but, but think that she thinks, who me? <laughs> Why me? And, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But what happens is interesting. So Mary goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is about six months pregnant with John the baptizer. And, and as she comes into the home, the Holy Spirit moves John within her. The baby leaps. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she speaks a word of prophecy, really. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In other words, how did she know this? Mary wasn't showing at the time, I'm sure, and just because of the time period. But, but she knew through the power of God that Mary had been chosen for this amazing work. And I believe that God used Elizabeth to confirm his promise to Mary. In fact, beyond question, I believe that God's confirmation to Mary had to have erased her doubts, had to have strengthened her faith. And it definitely moved her. Because what we're going to look at this morning is her response to Mary's words and what God is doing in her life. And she gives us this poetic song of praise. We call it the Magnificat. Now, you may not have heard of that term Magnificat, but the Magnificat is the song she sings. And it's called the Magnificat because in the Latin translation of this passage, the very first word is magnify. 
It's a Latin word for magnify. And so we call it the Magnificat. But Mary's song is filled with the illusions of Scripture. Uh, and it reveals how deeply she cherished God's word and, and her relationship with him. And her song is found in Luke 1, 46 through 55. And what we're going to look at is really from this song, what do we learn about joyful worship? Because worship isn't just something we do when we sing. It should be something that just erupts out of our life. And we're going to understand that that's what really happened for Mary, that her worship was joyful and it really was something that she didn't have to manufacture. It really just sort of erupted from her life. And so the song presents us with the attitude, the object, and the reason for joyful worship. And so we're going to begin by looking at the attitude of joyful worship. Luke 1, verse 46, to the first part of verse 48. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And we notice really that Mary's worship, first of all, is internal. Well, now, what do I mean by internal? Well, she uses the word soul and spirit. And what's interesting is both of those words are interchangeable in the Greek. And so they really speak of the inner person. It's recorded that Jesus, when he talked about worship in John 4, 24, he said that really true worship, genuine worship comes from our mind and our emotion and our will. It's a part of who we are. It's not something we have to manufacture. It comes out of who we are in Christ. And Mary worshiped God. With, with all she was and all she had. She praised him with her mind and her soul and her spirit and her strength. It, it was internal. It was something that started from her inside and sort of erupted so that others could see it. Secondly, not only is Mary's worship internal, it's really intense. Now, why do I say the word intense? Because the word magnify. The word magnify in the Greek literally means no, to make great, to, to enlarge. Uh, if, if we look at this word figuratively, it means to exalt and celebrate, to esteem highly. In, in other words, Mary understands who God is. And, and when she's seeing all these things that are happening in her life, the this, this fact that she's chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah, and this amazing word that Elizabeth speaks to her through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she, yeah, she's on a swerve. She wasn't expecting any of this to come. But yet she realizes how big God is, and she just, she just magnifies him. She praises him. It's intense. The, the Magnificat is the outpouring of deep emotion and joy. And so think about it. Here's Mary, her response. It's, it's internal, it's real, it's genuine. It, it's, it, it's intense. And we also realize it's habitual, but this wasn't something unique in Mary's life. This was who she was. She was a worshiper. Mary's worship was a way of life. And the way the word magnified is written suggests that worship occurred as a, as a continuous flow from Mary's life. I love this, that the word rejoice literally means supreme joy. Think about that for a minute. Supreme joy. What is, what is supreme joy? It, it, it's, it's fullness of joy. And it's a joy in its fullness that isn't dictated by the circumstances we go through. It's, it's dictated by the what we'll look at in a moment, the object of our worship. And I think that's so important. Because, because I don't know about you, but I've wrestled with, how do you find joy in certain circumstances? And the key is you can't look at the circumstance or you won't. You got to look at the God who is with you. And Mary totally understood that. And it was a part of her life. She understood a, a lifestyle of worship, if you will. And she, she rejoiced. Genuine worship is not self-focused. And it's really God-focused. It's honoring him with our heart, filled with, with his joy. 
And it's here that we understand that not only is, is Mary's worship internal and intense and, and, and a part of our life, it's habitual, it's really marked with humility. Do you notice Mary's words? She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's looked at the humble estate of his servant. He, he's looked at me. I, I, I'm not special, she's saying. I'm not unique, except for the fact that God has chosen me. She expresses her wonder and amazement, in fact, that God chose her for this task. Mary did not view herself as anything but a servant of God. In fact, it's interesting. We find in Scripture this word servant. In fact, it's probably better translated bond servant. In some translations, it's actually mentioned bond servant. And Mary's the very first person in the New Testament to use that term. Isn't that interesting? She's the first one. She says, I'm a bond servant of God. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, who was Mary? Mary's an ordinary young lady from an insignificant Galilean village called Nazareth. Nazareth was a village that other Israelites looked down upon. And she was certainly no part of the elite class of society. And yet she teaches us this, this attitude of joyful worship. The attitude of joyful worship is, is internal, it's intense, it's habitual. It's marked with, with, by humility. And here it really is. When people are deeply aware of the love of God and their unworthiness of it, they're filled with his joy. And like Mary this morning, we can relate to the fact that if you're in Christ, if you're chosen, but Jesus chose you, God chose you before you were even born to say, come into relationship with me. And, and so when we think about that, 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 should, that should well something up within us to, to worship the Lord that he chose us, not because of anything we did, but because he simply loves us. We're not special because we're special. We're merely special because he's a part of our life. And being chosen is just, it should bring up an eruption of worship. It should affect our, our attitude, the attitude of joyful worship that, that we understand deep down in our inner self who we are in Jesus. That we're no longer identified as sinners, but we're identified as saints. I mean, think about that for a minute. One of my least favorite bumper stickers I ever see on the road is someone says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And you say, well, isn't that true? Well, only partly true. I'm a saint. The scripture says that about me. I'm not identified by my sin. I'm identified by him. And the scripture says as a believer, I'm a saint. Think about that for a minute. Now, don't go around asking people to call you saint, whatever your name is. That would be weird, and we talked about humility just a minute ago. But I wonder if you would look at yourself differently if every morning you got up and realized that, that you're a saint in Jesus Christ. That's how he sees you, that you're a called one. He's chosen you. And like I like to say, me plus God's always a majority. The greater is he who is in me than he is in the world that the resources of heaven are at my disposal, not because of who I am apart from God, but because of who I am in Christ. And you too. And Mary understood that. And through that, she teaches us this attitude of joyful worship. But she doesn't just teach us the attitude of joyful worship. She teaches us the object of joyful worship. Look at what she declares in verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's object of joyful worship is God, her Lord and Savior. And as, believer, as believers, worship needs to focus on God being our Lord and Savior. That's the focus of our worship. One of my favorite statements that I've, that I've heard a pastor make, uh, I didn't hear it, I hear, heard him share he made the statement, 
was by a pastor by the name of Francis Chan. Maybe some of you have heard of him. And one day he was at a particular church he was pastoring. Someone left the church. You probably heard me share this before because it's one of my favorite stories. And someone left the church and said that, that as they were leaving, said to him, I can't even imagine this, but said to him, I didn't get anything out of worship this morning. And Francis Chan looked at this individual and said, that's okay, it wasn't about you anyway. <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. And isn't there a deep truth to be found there that the reality of it is that the object of our worship isn't ourselves, it's God. And if we come into this place and even in corporate worship and make it about us, we probably aren't going to leave with anything that's going to matter much in eternity. But when we come in and our focus is on God and others, all of a sudden something amazing happens in our life. God meets us where we're at. He does, he changes our heart. And I have to be honest with you there. Sometimes even when I come in, I have to check my heart. You know, and say, God, am I here for you? Or am I here just for me? Is it about me or is it about you? And I don't know about your story. I know mine, that when I focus on self, my life doesn't tend to go too well. Anyone ever seen that? Like my relationships aren't flourishing when it's all about me. But when I make it about God and others, all of a sudden amazing things happen in those relationships. All of a sudden something happens in me that even if the relationship isn't going so well, I can be well in the midst of it. Because the object of my worship isn't me, it's, it's, it's God. And Mary acknowledges like, like everyone else, she was in need of a savior. That she wasn't different than anyone else on planet earth. She needed a savior. That's why she says, my, my spirit rejoices in God my savior. Like all true worshipers, Mary had an exalted view of God and a humble view of herself. And, and, and such humility God requires, but also God blesses. And Mary knew the coming Messiah, Jesus, whom she was to give birth, marked the apex of redemptive history. That Jesus would save those who received him as Lord and Savior from their sins. And that she was one of them. What an interesting reality. I mean, really, I don't know how many parents we have in here, but maybe you remember... Uh, when you either you were pregnant or your spouse was pregnant with, with, with the, the child to come, and, and you were wondering, what's this child going to do? What are they going to become? Can you imagine Mary? Well, he's going to become the savior of the world. You know, talk about helicopter parenting. You know, he's going to become the savior of the world. She knew that. And she knew that she, he would become her savior. In fact, she, she realizes Jesus would say with his own words that he came to seek and save the lost. You and me, her. So Mary demonstrated the object of joyful worship and the object of joyful worship is God, our Lord and Savior. And here it is, joyful worship is always focused toward our Lord and Savior. So Mary shows us this amazing attitude of worship, which is so internal and intense. And it's a, it's a worship that's, that's marked with, with humility. And, and then she shares with us this object of worship, who's the Lord. Then she shares the reason for worship. Look at the rest of the song with me. Luke 1, second part of verse 48 through 55. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mightily has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, thought of their, in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty in, in, in their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with, great, with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel to remember of the remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary shares the reason for worship. And in verse 49, she, she speaks joyfully of the fact that God is God the mighty, that God is the mighty one. He has done great things for her. And further, these great things are so wonderful that all generations will call her blessed. To be chosen as the mother of the Messiah was a great honor. And the thought that she was even flawed like everyone else, and yet God chose her and is working in her, is, is moving her in the midst of this song. And this understanding, this understanding that God is merciful and lovingly, that mercifully and lovingly sent his son, this thought that he did so to save us, is stirring within her. And it should stir within us too, church. Like if it doesn't excite us this morning to realize that God came and dwelt among us for the purpose of dying for our sins and being resurrected for our salvation, what are we really doing here? What's the real purpose of all this? However, Mary's worship went beyond herself to embrace all God has done for others and in the future. Notice she's not just talking about what, what he's done. He's ta she's talking about what he's doing and what he's going to do. In fact, we could tie this into the second coming, that, that Jesus has come. But the good news is, church, he's going to come back again and take us to be with him in paradise. That the cry for justice that we have is a right cry. It's, it's, it's a moral compass of God's place within each of us to be able to say what is right and wrong and to be able to notice that what the world around us is not a place of, of absolute justice. But when Jesus returns, he will bring justice. Mary's song reveals that she, far from being self-absorbed, is very mindful of the Lord. And, and she throws out these Old Testament themes that she had been brought up understanding of redemption and freedom and justice. And she exhibits a large vision of God and his grand purpose for herself and the world. It's amazing. It's just erupting from her, this song of praise. And as we read Mary's song, we realize it's not just for her, it's for us. It's a song we should be able to sing as people of God. No matter where we are in life, no matter what circumstance we're going through, that God is truly with us. For all who know the difficulties of this world, for all who know the difficulties of this world, which is all of us, we should be able to speak these words of hope to one another, to realize that God lifts up the humble. In fact, the word of God constantly talks about that, that he, he, he builds up the humble and he brings down the proud. Think about that. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I, I don't have much to be proud about except for God, then you're sitting in a good place. And he will administer justice. Mary's song really reveals God's character and the attributes of his holiness, his mercy. But it's to be looked upon in, in context of our relationship with him. In fact, God's attributes are not merely something to be understood in, in worship. They're to be experienced as we walk with him. This past week, I was meeting with a friend of mine, and he's had this renewed relationship with Christ. And, and we were talking about the fact that as he has this renewed relationship with Christ, he can look back and see God's hand in different situations. And, and God was giving him this availability to look in the past and to have a little better understanding of certain circumstances and saying, you know, I thought I was alone in that, but, but God was doing something there. 
And, and there was this other situation, he said, and I can realize now that, that God had orchestrated some things that I wasn't able to see at the time because I wasn't in this relationship with God. But now that I see him, I realize it's, it, it's amazing. And he's trying to get more and more excited about the fact that if God was working then before he was walking with Christ, what's God doing now? And what's God have for him? And have you ever been there, church? I mean, let's face it, most of life we go through and we don't see the hand of God, right? We really don't. But every once in a while, he gives us a glimpse. And I believe he gives us that glimpse to realize that even though we don't always see his hand, it doesn't mean it's not always there. But even though there's times where we wonder, God, are you present? Are you working? That, that we may not see it, that the reality, the answer is always a resounding yes. I am present. I am working. That I'm the one that can make something sacred out of this mess of a world. That's why I like to call the church a sacred mess. It's messy because we're here. It's sacred because he is. And what he does is amazing in our midst. And when we look at the reason for worship, the reason for joyful worship is God's mighty and great works he has done for us. And here it is. Joyful worship flows out of an acknowledgement of what God has done for us. Well, what, he, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's yet to do. That as we are here on this third Sunday of Advent, anticipating the, the time when we gather together for Christmas Eve to celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to realize that, that God wanted us to have more in our mind this time of year than just the baby born in that manger, you know, and laying in a the manger there in that stable. That he wanted us to understand that you can't separate Easter and Christmas. That the reality of it is that the Christ child would grow and would die on the cross for our sins and be resurrected for our salvation. But for us in Advent to be remindful of it, that Christ who ascended to heaven is going to return in a similar way and take us home to be with him. And, and as we think about these things, it, it ought to allow us to, to just celebrate the, the reason that we gather here. We gather here to do what? To put the very glory of God on display. I mean, what's that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like focusing on him and not ourselves. And it means caring for one another. Yeah, it means singing. And for those of us who have voices like me, yeah, we still sing. We still do it, even though no one wants to hear us. Only God. God's the ultimate parent. It sounds good to him. And we study God's word together. But you know what else we do? We pray over one another. You say, oh, we do that in service? No, we should be doing that when we're not sitting here. I had a friend who came up who had a situation with a cousin and he was asking me if I heard about it and I had and we were talking about it a little bit and, and I didn't let him leave without praying with him. Sometimes I do and I'm like, why did I do that? Because it's so easy to say, oh, I'll, yeah, I'll remember that in prayer and then you feel bad when you forget. Anyone ever, don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for me and if you're part of it, you can, holy ouch, right? But, but you don't forget about it when you just say, let's pray. You go, well, that, that may be weird if you, if you did that in the middle of Wegmans. Well, it's not so weird when you do it in the middle of a church building. By the way, who cares if it's weird in the middle of Matt Wegmans? Do it. I triple dog dare you. <laughs> now you got to. We encourage each other. When someone's going through a difficult time, we, we, we sit with them. We, what's the scripture say? We cry with those who are mourning. We mourn with them. We, we, we give encouragement. 
That's what it means to put the glory of God on display. We, we share testimony. It's so important we share our story about God's working in our life. Not so other people sit back and are, are jealous, right? Because we don't want to do that and say, well, I wish God was doing that in my life. No, no, don't rob yourself of the blessing God has for you by desiring someone else's blessing. God has one for you. But there's something powerful when we share testimony. It should encourage us. In fact, the scripture tells us that Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's power in story. There's power in reading a story of, of Mary, an account from her life nearly 2,000 years ago. But this morning gives us an understanding of what the attitude of worship is and who the object of our worship is and what the reason of our worship is. See, from an earthly perspective, Mary was quite ordinary. This is true. But she was chosen by God. And let me be honest, all of us are really quite ordinary. And that's true. But we're chosen by God, and that's the game changer. In joy, she personally experienced his redemption. In joy, we can do the same. Especially, we can understand what it means to have joyful worship when we, like her, possess an attitude of humility leading to a deeply internal, intense, habitual, and joyful worship marked by humility. When we make our Lord and Savior the object of our worship, not ourselves, not other people, not our circumstances, when we understand that the reason for our joy, our joyful worship, is God who is mighty and is always working for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's something to celebrate. That's something to say Merry Christmas about. The deep celebration of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we boil it all down, the key to allowing that first Christmas to impact our present Christmas, the first Christmas to impact our Christmas right here and now, is acknowledging our need for the Lord, his wonderful works, and his offering of salvation to us in Christ Jesus. And to engage in a lifestyle, not a moment, but a lifestyle of joyful worship. No matter what life throws at me, to be able to say one thing is constant, and that is, my God is faithful. I've had people throw the accusation at me that my faith in Christ is nothing but a crutch. I like to respond, oh, no, 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 it's far more. It's my life support. He is my everything. And when he's not, I need to acknowledge he is. Amen, church? So I don't know where you are this morning. In a moment, we're going to take part in a communion, another part of remembrance, where Jesus said, I want you to take this time as a church family and remember me. And it's a powerful way of remembering that God has chosen us. So we're in this relationship with him and the work he's done. And I tell you, if that doesn't excite you this morning, I don't know what to say. You know, if it doesn't light your fire, you just don't have any wood this morning, you need to get some. Let the spirit of God build that in you. But if you're in Christ this morning, I encourage you to, to be able to sit back and, and from Mary learn, Lord, do I have that attitude of worship that she had? Am I understanding what the object of worship is? Do I understand the, the true reason? And if you're not in Christ this morning, why not? Why not this morning enter into that relationship that you've been created to have with Jesus? You've been chosen for that relationship. He's been pursuing you. So you would have that relationship with him. And as I pray in just a moment, perhaps in the quietness of your heart, whether you're here on the campus or watching online, you'd simply say yes to him. Thank him for dying for your sins, being resurrected for your salvation. Receive the greatest Christmas gift of all, which is life in Jesus. And wherever we find ourselves, will we not let his spirit 
lead us to the next step in our faith journey with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your profound love. Father God, thank you for your mighty acts uh, from the past, the present, and the future for what you've done, for what you're doing, and what you're yet to do. To truly offered us when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is not something we earn, but something offered to us through your love and your great mercy toward us. Lord, I thank you for the person perhaps even now in the quietness of their heart for saying yes to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for our sins and being resurrected for our salvation. For giving us the blessing of your indwelling spirit. For allowing us to have the resources of heaven at our disposal and, and the confidence that you're going to return to take us to live with you forever in paradise. This Advent, we remember your coming. We remember, Lord God, that you are going to come again. For those of us who know you, Lord God, we've experienced the salvation in our life. Help us come to know your joy, which we know in part this side of paradise we'll know fully when Christ returns and finishes the work within us. But Lord, help us live a life of joyful worship. Joyful worship of you. And empower us to share this good news with others, Lord, for as you've blessed this gathering, so you've blessed this time of us coming together and putting your glory on display. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our scattering, that as we go throughout this region, that we would be ambassadors of your joy in the places where we live, where we go to school, where we work, and where we play. Lord, would you use us as ordinary people to be ordinary missionaries, Lord God, if you will, in these places for your glory. Lord, thank you for the joy of being here this Advent Sunday. I pray, Lord, that it would be more than a ritual, but that it would be life-changing for each of us. And as we enter into this time of communion, Father God, this time of remembrance, I pray all the more that we would allow our heart to lay bare before you, for you to do the work of preparing us for this act of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.